0: The Bible says a lot about life after death. The Bible talks about life after death in great detail. It's kind of like mining. You have to dig a little deep sometimes. But if you are willing to dig a little deep for these kernels of truth, the Bible is filled with amazing truth about life after death. The Bible talks about Jesus' life after death. The Bible talks about 40 days of post-resurrection appearances. The Bible talks about your body and how in life after death you will have a resurrected body. The Bible talks about a new heaven and a new earth. The Bible talks about extravagant decorations, the decor of what heaven will look like. The Bible talks about a, a river of life and a new throne and a tree of life and the bible talks on and on and on about life after death and so we have we are and we will talk about a lot of scripture in this series but i've also told you some stories some stories that people have written about who have experienced something supernatural i told you about last sunday about howard storm and howard storm was he died before he was resuscitated, and Howard Storm was convinced that he was being carried away by demons. And Howard Storm, as an artist, was kind of a self-made man and didn't believe in God and didn't trust in God. And Howard Storm got a second chance at life. I told you the first week about Vernon Samuels and how Vernon Samuels... Uh, had not seen his son, Joey, for over 60 years. Joey had died 60 years before this, had drowned. And yet Joey on a Tuesday said, Dad, I'm coming to get you at exactly high noon on Friday. And the physicians in the hospice care thought, this isn't going to happen exactly high noon. This man, Vernon Samuels, passed away, claiming Joey was in the room. I don't know what to make of some of those stories. I read them, And there's hundreds of near-death experience stories. There's hundreds of after-death experience stories. There are people who write books and who research this. and, And literally, there are hundreds and hundreds of stories where people have some supernatural experience. And those people that didn't have a faith in God, it didn't go well for them. And their stories are not about angels and staircases and about glory. Their their stories are different. But they were given a second chance or, or Jesus showed up to them and said, you know, this is it. I don't know what to make of some of those stories. And so when I read about those stories, I don't know those authors. I don't know those people, and so I'm a little bit skeptical. Are you just a little bit? I'm just a little bit skeptical from time to time. However, the last 20 days since we've started this message series, dozens of you have come to me and told me your story. Dozens of you from this church, and I like you, and I trust you, and I don't think you were smoking any weed on the way to church. I, 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 I trust you, and this is my people, and this is my posse, and you've come to me with your stories, and they're amazing, and they're supernatural, and they're t- totally unexplainable. One of the gentlemen that works back in the booth, volunteers every Sunday, emailed me the story about his grandma and grandpa. Grandma and grandpa Short was their name. And they just celebrated their 60th wedding anniversary, and they were longtime members of the First Christian Church of Salem, Indiana. And at 5.30 a.m., Grandpa Short woke up Grandma Short. He was fully dressed in his suit. And she said, what are you doing? And he said, well, you know, that person there has come to get me. It's time for me to go. He told me to get ready. It's time to leave. And I can just see Grandma turning on the light and putting on her glasses. And she said, there's nobody in the room. Put your pajamas back on. And she made him put his pajamas back on. An hour later at 6.30 a.m., Grandma woke up with Grandpa fully dressed. And just as he tied his shoes, he collapsed and would never be conscious on this earth ever again. You've told me your stories. You're telling me how things happen in a supernatural way, and I can't fully get my hands around that. And so I read stories like Maurice Rawlings, who's a physician. And Maurice was an atheist. And Maurice Rawlings was working in the uh, emergency room. And a man comes in who's having a heart attack. And Maurice Rawlings said he had to do CPR. The man flatlined. And the man gained consciousness. And he said, whatever you do, do not let me die. I am in hell. And three times he resuscitated him, and all three times the man said, Please, I'm begging you, don't let me die. And the man became a Christian. The man became a believer. And Dr. Maurice Rawlings was so enamored by the story that he went to visit the patient, and he said, I know. He saw something. I know. He was somewhere supernatural. M. Scott Peck, the living legend, psychiatrist, wrote a book called Happiness is a Choice. And M. Scott Peck, as a psychiatrist, was an agnostic. And agnostic is different than an atheist. An atheist says, there is no God. An agnostic says, I don't know and I don't care. And M. Scott Peck was an agnostic. But in his psychiatry, he had to study. And part of his studies was to go visit two women, two different women, who were supposedly possessed by demons. He didn't believe in demons. He didn't believe in demon possession. So M. Scott Peck goes to these two different exorcisms. And uh, he said as he walked away from both of them, he said, you know what? I don't even believe in God. But I'll tell you this. I heard the voice of Satan in both of those exorcisms. And so it's hard to know what to make out of some of those. Those are stories that sometimes I'm skeptical and you're skeptical, but when it comes to scripture, the weight of scripture, it doesn't, it, you know, these stories pale in comparison to the weight of scripture. And so I know the Bible's true. These stories that I hear, I'm trying to connect the dots. I'm trying to tie the loose ends together, as are you. But the scriptures talk about a resurrected Jesus. And the Scriptures talk about a resurrected body. And the Scriptures for today that I want to camp out on today talk about a resurrected universe. What's it going to look like? What will it be? What will the place be that you and I go to? And the Bible talks at great length about our place that it's going to be. And so if you want to turn to Revelation 21, that's where we're going to camp out. I'm going to start, however, with another verse in Hebrews chapter 11. But in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5, those will be our main verses that we're going to look at today. But I want to start with Hebrews. In Hebrews, there is a called a, a hall of fame group of people. Hebrews chapter 11 lists all these incredible, great people who had tremendous faith, and, and, and I love what they were longing for, because they were longing for a better place. Have you ever wondered why people are never satisfied where they live? You ever thought about that? I lived in four different states, and every state I've been in, people have never been satisfied where they live. People live in the city, want to live in the country. People live in the country, want to live in the city. People live in North Carolina, want to live in Florida. People live in Florida, want to live in North Carolina. It's the most amazing thing. Why is that? Because we long for a better place. We're always longing for a better environment. And so were these people in this this culture. Listen to this. Hebrews 11, 13 through 16, all these people, this is the wall of fame, the hall of fame people by faith, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. They're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing. They were longing for a better country. They were longing for a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Now, Jesus told the disciples just before He left, I am going there to prepare a place for you. Now, Jesus Christ has had 2,000 years to build. And as a carpenter, that gives me encouragement, right? If, if he's an English teacher, that wouldn't be too exciting, because, you know, what well, an English teacher, how can they build? But Jesus was a carpenter. He's building a better place for us. And we all long for that. And the question is, can we know what that's going to look like? Can we get our mind around what that will be like? I think the answer to that question is yes. Now, if you're at Revelation 21, let's look at some of those scriptures first of all. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now again, don't let the last part of that verse throw you. I told you when I first read that years ago, that really bothered me because I like the water. I love the water. I like salt water. We went out for a boat ride yesterday, shouldn't have. We went out for a boat ride yesterday for about an hour, and I think I about got everybody hypothermia. But it was worth it. It was worth every minute of it. But but there will be, sea is a word for separation. There's no longer any separation in heaven. But here's a cool verse, because this verse is talking about the new heaven and the new earth. This is the permanent heaven. We talked all last week about the temporary heaven, the intermediate heaven. We talked last Sunday about paradise. We talked last Sunday about Abraham's side. Those were all the temporary places until Jesus comes again. And when Jesus Christ comes again, that's when the permanent heaven will kick in. And Revelation 21 verses 1 through 4 clearly describe what that's going to be like. So I saw a new heaven. And I saw a new earth. So does that mean that there will be earth in heaven? Yes, it's exactly what it means. In fact, it's a little different than that. It really means heaven comes down to earth, and we'll see that in just a minute. But the Bible talks in several different places about the present earth will be destroyed or laid bare or it will be destroyed. So let's look at some of these verses. Just stay in Revelation 21, and we're going to come back to verse 2 in just a minute. But Psalm, Psalm 102 says, In the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like clothes you will change them, and they will be discarded. So I'm not saying the new earth will be like this earth. It will have familiarity, it will have qualities and characteristics like this earth, but it will be very different. This present earth will not be the new earth. Look at some other verses. Luke twenty one thirty three, heaven and earth will pass away. Jesus said, and "My words will never pass away. I mean, the word of God will last forever and forever." Look at another t- verse out of Second Peter chapter three. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. I thought, as I was studying this in Bible college, that this present earth was going to be completely destroyed, wiped out, we'd never be able to recognize any of it. The word laid bare means a great transformation. Kind of like when God destroyed the earth with a flood. Remember that? Everything got destroyed, but there was still the earth, right? The, the, the trees got destroyed and the cattle got destroyed, but, but the earth itself was still the earth. And that's what this passage of Scripture means. So Revelation 21 says, I saw, John, he has a vision of the future. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had passed away. Now go back to Revelation chapter 21, look at verse 2. I saw the holy city. Well, that's Interesting. Because Hebrews chapter 11 said We're longing for a country For a heavenly city And Hebrews chapter 11 is talking about What's going to take place With Revelation chapter 21 verse 2 I saw the holy city The new Jerusalem coming down from heaven Well that's interesting Well where is heaven? Heaven is anywhere God is If you try to nail down Where heaven is Just find God Are you with me on that? Heaven is wherever God is. I saw the holy city. I saw the new Jerusalem. What's it doing? It's coming down. It's up there because that's where God is. But now God's coming down here to a new earth, the heavenly city. I see the city and the city is coming down. Wow. Coming down from heaven. Prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Look at verse 3. And then I hear a loud voice from the throne saying now, and that little Greek word now means finally, it means at last, it means this is the culmination, finally, now, at last, this is what we've been waiting for, let's get the party started, it's going to happen, now, the dwelling of God is with men. Folks, this was his goal in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. This has always been God's goal. God's plan, God's wish, God's fulfillment is always to be with you and to be with me. That's always God's plan. And now it's finally going to happen in the new heaven and the new earth. Now the dwelling of God is with men. And he will live with them. He's already done that. We see that in Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, in the cool of the day, the Lord God is walking among the garden to be with Adam and Eve. Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them, and He will be their God. Where is heaven? It's wherever God is. Where is it specifically in the permanent heaven? Heaven comes, God Himself comes down, and this huge, great, big city, heavenly dwelling, there's a new earth. Look at verse 4. And this is what will happen in that day He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. That'll truly be heaven, won't it? That will truly be heaven. For the old order of things has passed away, it's no longer in existence. It's Passed away. Look at verse five. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And this is God. He's making things new. I'm making everything new. Then he said, Write this down. He's talking to John. He's given a revelation. Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. This is God speaking. These words are trustworthy and true. Look at the next piece of that. That's the last piece of that. Verse five. Okay. I'm making everything new. And what's really interesting is most theologians today, the Dallas Willards, the the John Pipers, most of these theologians today are absolutely convinced that God didn't create all this matter just to throw it away and to waste it. And, And so what this new earth will be like, it will be very similar to this earth Although it will be like the updated version that everything you could ever dream or ever imagine. And so I, I want to show kind of a chart right now on what most of our assumptions are about heaven and then what I think the Bible actually teaches about heaven. So I'm generalizing these assumptions. These may not be your assumptions, but I just want to kind of rattle through this list of what most people kind of have assumed about heaven, but this is what I think the Bible actually teaches about heaven. You still with me? Okay. All right, are you bored? Well, that's a good answer because we're in church. All right. This is kind of what we assume about earth, we, about heaven. We assume that heaven will be a non earth. Here's what the Bible actually says the Bible says it'll be a new, a new earth. We assume that it will be unfamiliar. The Bible doesn't say that at all. The Bible says this will be very familiar. We assume that heaven will be disembodied, life after death will be disembodied. That's not true at all. We know that that there's, there's a resurrection. And you can even see this when the Mount of Transfiguration, who shows up with Jesus? Elijah. And Moses, you see in the the 40 days of post-resurrection appearances, you see Jesus starts a fire. Jesus cooks some fish. Jesus eats fish. Jesus walks with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He has feet. He can walk. You and I will have bodies in heaven. And they'll be a lot better than the ones that are working right now, right? What else do we assume? It'll be foreign matter. It'll be Home. It will be home. We assume that heaven and life after death will be leaving favorite things behind. I think it's retaining the good and finding the best ahead. What do we assume about heaven? We assume no time and no space. But really heaven talks a lot about time and space. It says there was silence in heaven for half an hour. And there's several different references to time in heaven. We assume there'll be nothing to do kind of floating on clouds. What the Bible says, a God to worship, a God to serve, a universe to rule, purposeful work, and friends to enjoy. What do we assume? I think we assume that it will be boring. I I think heaven will be so fascinating. We will be learning and experiencing and growing and changing and transforming forever and forever and forever. We assume that the Bible will be a loss of desire what does the Bible teach about that? It'll be continuous fulfillment of desire. I think we assume that it will be the absence of the terrible, but presence of little that we desire. Did you follow that? I think what the Bible actually teaches, however, is the presence of the wonderful, we misspelled presence. That's a new way to spell presence, just if you're interested. It's kind of the Greek-Hebrew way of working that in. That's the Latin version of the Vulgate. Uh, that's the presence of the wonderful. It's everything we desire. It's nothing that we don't. Now remember Hebrews 11 verse 16. Instead they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. Just for the next five minutes. I can't talk about everything. I want to talk about this city. What will the heavenly city be like? And you've got some blanks in your bulletin if you want to fill some of those in. We're just going to talk about what the new city will actually look like and what it will be like. First of all, it's called the New Jerusalem. It's called the New Jerusalem. Now guess what? Even the dimensions of the New Jerusalem are listed. And this is really, really big. In Revelation 21, 15 through 16, it says, The angel who had talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, its walls. The city was laid out like a square. As long as it was wide, it measured the city rod and found it to be 12,000 thousand That's about 14,000 miles by 14,000 miles by 14,000 miles. It's a perfect cube, how Revelation describes it. Now let me just give you some dimensions for that. The size of the city, the New Jerusalem, the heavenly city, will be, let's go north to the northern tip of Canada. Let's go south to Mexico. Let's go all the way over to the east, to the Appalachian Mountains, your east, East Appalachian Mountains, all the way over to the California border. This city, just to stretch it out in the United States, from Canada to Mexico, all the way to the Appalachian Mountains, all the way to the California border, this is one big honka-monka-mama city. It's ten times the size of France, just to give you some perspective. If it's it's 14,000 by 14,000 by 14,000, it's a total of 600,000 stories tall. A couple of billion people can live just on the upper floors if they want to, okay? I personally don't want to be up there. I want to be a little closer to the water myself. But it's one big city. It's called the New Jerusalem. Now, is this just figurative? Maybe. I have no problem if it is. The whole point of the passage of Scripture is it's really, really big, 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 big. It's a bigger city than you could ever dream or imagine, okay just the city of jerusalem it has new gates revelation 20 new gates revelation 21 12 through 13 talk about gates got a great wall high with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates now what i like about this is the gates are never shut and when you get to heaven it's a place of complete security it's a city you don't have to look behind every alley and every corner it's a city that's completely secure there are new gates in this city There's another new. Look at the next one. There's new decorations. It's shown with the glory of God. Its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like like jasper, clear as crystal. The wall was made of jasper, the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. And then it begins to list every one of the stones. God can paint, God can build. And God's stuff isn't junk. God's stuff is gorgeous and pretty and beautiful and beyond our imagination. The decorations of this city are glorious and extremely beautiful. Let's go to the next new. There will be a new river. Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 and 2 say, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing down from the throne of God and of the Lamb down in the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river, there was what's called the tree of life. Let's look at the next new. And this is the tree of life. The tree of life, folks, is mentioned seven times in the Bible. The tree of life is mentioned three times in Genesis chapter 2. The tree of life is mentioned four times in the book of Revelation. It's in Revelation 2, 7. And three times it's mentioned in the very last chapters of the book of Revelation. You and I will get to go and participate from the tree of life. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fr- twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healings of the nations. There's a new throne. Look at Revelation 22, verses 3 through 5. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. That's one thing we'll be doing in heaven. Yes, there will be work in heaven. We will be serving him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light. And they will reign forever and forever. A new throne. And this last one I call new travelers. There will be new guests. It appears like people will be coming and going to and from this incredible city. And I've got three different verses of scripture I want to share with this one. On that day, it's, on, on no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night, Revelation twenty one twenty five. Look at Habakkuk. Probably didn't study that this morning before you got to church. Habakkuk 2, verse 14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. There will be newness. The nations will walk by its light. And the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Well, how's the splendor coming and going? How's the splendor getting in and out of there? People are bringing it. People are traveling back and forth in this incredible time, this incredible nation. So what, what will it be like? I mean, that's scripture. Now let's, let's dial it down to kind of where you and I live just a little bit more. What, what will heaven really be like? I, I think heaven will be Familiar. I, I think it'll be very familiar. It's not like we gotta leave this earth and then get transported as aliens to a new planet that we have no understanding about. It'll be familiar. I think it'll be filled with family. I can't wait to see my grandparents. I really can't. Told you last week, Old Gorman and Catherine and Harried and Mary Smith. I just had wonderful relationships. I ate more pie and more chicken and more stuff and I just, I think my grandma's are already cooking waiting for me to get there. I really do. I think there'll be incredible family. It will be a family reunion. Heaven will be a place where we fit in. There's some places now on this earth that you just don't feel comfortable in, right? There's some circles that you just don't feel good. You don't fit in with some people or some environments. In heaven, no shame, no curses, no embarrassment, no exposure. These are my people. This is my posse. These are my amigos. This is where I belong. It'll just be that incredible fitting in feeling 24-7 or however they measure time in heaven. It'll be a far better version of this earth. I don't exactly know what the new earth will look like, but I am pretty sure there will be mountains and streams and rivers and streams. I'm pretty sure there will be butterflies and flowers. I'm pretty sure I'll get to fish as much as I want, or at least as much as God will allow me to. I'm pretty sure that it will be a better version of this earth by far. And so the things that you enjoy on this earth, do you think God's going to penalize us and take those away in in the new earth? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. I think you'll be able to paint and write music and you'll be able to garden and the garden will actually grow and the bugs won't eat all your stuff. It'll be a great environment. You will be able to do... If you like to play golf, you will hone your golf game. It will be the things that you will get to do. And then next week, I'm going to talk all about God, about heaven, how the best part about heaven is truly God. And you will be so comfortable with the host. You'll be so comfortable with Jesus. I'm not sure on this earth, even though we're Christians, that we're always comfortable with Jesus. I'm not sure on this earth that we always feel that Jesus loves me. I know this, I know, the Bible tells me so. But I think because we struggle, you know, with getting our lives together and we struggle with living above the boards. and we I'm not sure that we're always comfortable in Jesus' presence. Lord, I know what I should be. And yet in heaven, no shame. No exposure, no embarrassment. Nothing will be that awkwardness in heaven. But you know what the best part about all this is? The best part is that God fulfills His dream and His desire. It's not about us. Oh, there's a lot for us. And there's a lot about heaven that really has us in mind. But if you really boil this whole thing down to it, God gets his dream. God in heaven gets his wish. And his wish has always been, before he created the foundation of the earth, his wish has always been to be with you and me. Now the dwelling of God is with man. Revelation 21, verse 3. Now the dwelling of God is with man. Finally, at last, finally, it's here. Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. God longs for this. God has a hunger and a desire to spend time with you. And so, I just want to kind of shift the last part of this for just two minutes. And talk about where you're going. And how maybe it makes a whole lot of sense to get prepared to be where you're going. I mean, you're not just going to like the space, you know, just kind of transform from this earth to that earth and not remember things here. Your history here will go with you. Your holy history from this earth will go with you. The books, it says, will be opened. And every good deed that you've done will be remembered. And you will be rewarded for those things. And so just just for a second, just just give me just a second to kind of explain what I'm talking about. If you were going to go into the medical field and you're 16, 17, 15 years old and you would like to maybe be an x-ray technician or maybe be an LPN or an RPN or maybe be a radiologist, wouldn't it make sense that you kind of took some chemistry in high school? Wouldn't it make sense that you take biology in high school, wouldn't it make sense that maybe you spent a little bit of time shadowing a nurse or doing some medical things or at least visiting a hospital or a doctor's office? If you're going to be a farmer and your desire was to be like this great big, you know, cool farmer, I mean, wouldn't it make sense for you to go to someplace like Purdue, a a school that that majored in agriculture and understand machinery and and get kind of a, a business degree? I mean, if you were going to build skyscrapers, it was your job, you know, you wanted to build skyscrapers, you know, but you'd never taken physics and you didn't really like math. I mean, wouldn't it make sense that you kind of understand a little bit about physics and math before you went to engineering school? We're going to heaven. We're going to be with God's people. Doesn't it make sense that we do everything on this earth to get prepared? Doesn't it make sense that if Jesus has prepared a place for us, that we ought to be in preparation for that place? So let me just ask you this question. It's already now, you know, 23 days into the year, and we've probably broken all of our New Year's resolutions already. Okay? But how is this year going to prepare you for that kingdom any more than last year did? What are you going to do this year that's going to prepare you for that place that you're going to be forever? And you want to be with godly people and you want to be in godly environments and you want to get ready for that godly place, don't you? So let me ask you this question. Are you doing things today that are not helping your preparation? Are you hanging with people today who are not helping you to get where you ultimately want to be? Are you saying things and doing things that are incongruent with the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city, the place where you're going to be? That doesn't make any sense as a believer. Because as a believer, if all you've got is fire insurance, and you're not saying and doing the things today that are going to prepare you for that heavenly dwelling, you're going to get there and you're going to think to yourself, why in the world am I so unprepared? Why in the world didn't I spend more time on this earth in preparation? So what's the preparation? The preparation is always growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's our mission statement. And so it's not that you're like this perfect saint, but are you moving in the right direction? Are you saying and doing things today that are taking steps to move you into that growing relationship with Jesus Christ? What's next for you? Do you need to stop being with some people and start having some better friends? Do you need to stop spending so much time maybe doing TV or you know computer and maybe spend more time listening to your Bible? I don't know. I don't know. I just know where you're going. I just know where you're headed. I just know what this new Jerusalem, this holy city, this new earth is going to be like. And my job is to encourage you to become as prepared as you possibly can be. That's why we do church. We come together as a group of people, and we worship together, absolutely. But it's so much bigger than that for you individually. It's your own personal growth in your relationship with Christ. It's why we offer classes and studies. It's why we have Celebrate Recovery every Friday night. It's why we do MOPS. It's why we have men's Bible studies. It's why we do groups. It's why we have all these different things for our children. It's why we have all these different programs for our our youth. It's to help us to be prepared and to grow and to grow and to grow. Are you growing in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ? I don't think anything else really matters. It doesn't really matter how much money you make. It doesn't really matter if you're getting a bigger house this year. It doesn't really matter where your kids go to school. I mean, when you really just kind of bottom line this whole thing... Are you and am I growing in my personal relationship with Jesus Christ? It's where I'm going. It's who I'm going to be with. It's where I'm going to be hanging forever and forever and forever.